Hey everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Shallow Dives. Uh, me and Christian got something special for you. Uh, we talked about in a previous episode uh, that we were going to give each other kind of quarantine movies to watch. We're always like trying to recommend shit to each other anyway, and now we're sort of locked inside, so might as well. If you want to watch along with us, this is a, a good time to see some very strange um, disturbing things that we both like. Uh, not not all of yours, mainly just all of mine. Yeah, I was gonna, <laughs> all right, actual text message while watching the movie that I was tasked to watch five minutes in. Jesus Christ, can you pick one happy fucking movie for me like ever? Uh, it was terrible. <laughs> like all your movies make me feel bad, but they're all really good movies. And I guess well, that's the point. You know, I mean, well, here, here's, a, here's an honest question for you before we dive in. And sure. like honest question, just in terms of like how you take in movies, because everybody's different. Um, like, do you, do you make that distinction a lot of the time between like a happy and not happy movie? Like, because a lot of people do. Or do you just kind of like enjoy like a good movie? Like it doesn't matter. It's very interesting much. that you said that because this movie, it, it like is Schrodinger's movie. It's both at the same time to me because like, yeah, I think, I think maybe not happy and sad, but certainly how we feel about it. Something can be mm. like lighthearted or silly and we feel a certain way because of it. And if things yeah. are too heady, in this instance, the smothering of a baby. Uh, yeah, you're going to well. get sad about it. So, like, there, there, there are definitely feelings to it, but most of the time, and again, what's amazing about this film is at some point, I was just like, fuck, man, I'm going on a walk. I didn't know I wanted to go on, and this is amazing, <laughs> you know? So we'll, we'll get more into all that for sure, but I think we should introduce the films. Um, sure. Um, yeah, I'm going to let you uh, kick it off um, because, well, yeah, you're kicking it off with the most lighthearted, I think, of the bunch oh, yeah. here. Oh, um yeah. But yeah, go ahead and take right. us off. With- uh, ladies and gentlemen, Schindler's List. No, I'm playing. Uh, the most lighthearted. <laughs> uh, no, I picked uh, – it was weird because I don't think we intended to go as French as we went with it, but we went pretty French with it. Uh, yeah. Actually, all four of the movies – one of them is English language, but it still takes place in France. I just right. realized that. Couldn't Jesus Christ. these fucking galls, man. <laughs> uh, but I picked uh, – I, I, was, I, I, I I had told a couple of weeks back that I had just watched Breathless by Jean-Luc Godard. And it was like, oh, shit, it's mm-hmm. kind of my first French new wave. And it's something that you hear about all the time. And certainly directors that we have watched growing up are influenced by them. But I hadn't really taken the dive myself. Watch Breathless right. was like, this is wonderful. But it's like, holy shit, male gaze. I hate to use the buzzwords, but it very much is. It's like this really toxic masculinity thing. Um, at the same time, it's like taking that down. But it's it's that Breaking Bad syndrome. Like, is this super mm-hmm. cool? Or are you supposed have, to like, have your cake, eat it too kind of yeah. 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 Uh, so I was really interested to find out that there is a female counterpart, um, as reductive as that may sound. It's just there was a there was an oppositional voice. Um, it was yeah. this director named Agnes Varda, who uh, made a film called Cleo from five to seven. Uh, and I described it a little bit on the other recommendation thing, but the basic premise is a woman waits from five to six thirty, which is weird. <laughs> it's, it's, she waits till six thirty, but it's called Cleo from five to seven because it sounds better. It was the first editorial right. choice. That, that was going to be like my first thing is like, is this like a, a deliberate choice? Is this like a, a statement on something? <laughs> like she doesn't make it to seven? Like what does that mean? Right, that'd be fucking metal, right? <laughs> like, but no, it's she's waiting um, to get the results back from a cancer test that she took, and she's you know worried about that. And it's literally shot in real time for the most part with mm-hmm. each chapter telling you hey this is yeah. happening from this time to this time and i thought and it was i kept really uh, checking the timestamp on that like when it would say like this is cleo from 511 to 516 and it would literally be 11 minutes into the movie how impressive is that just like we, we think about that stuff now right like because we think about mm-hmm. like Birdman in 1917 things are meant to manipulate 
be manipulated to look like one shots and to happen in real time. But these takes are largely happening, at least down to the editing in perfect time. Yeah. No, it's um that's insane to me, especially because like editing back then was done like by literally cutting yeah, a scissors. film strip yeah. with scissors. So like just to be able to time that out, like I don't even know, I don't understand enough about old school editing to understand how that works. Maybe it's a little bit like less crazy than that, but I feel like that's what it was. Is just like very good timing and like precision editing and knowing exactly what it is you wanted to fucking shoot on the day, which is very impressive. Yeah, um, I think, I mean, that like, you know, Breathless had this jump cut revelation that was kind of like what people remember about that film in terms of what it did. And I thought this movie, and it probably wasn't the first to do it, but it's going back and thinking again about the process of how hard that is. It's like miraculous. Um, and the film, again, is set in real time. So you're like, oh man, what's going to happen? They're going to be high speed chases. Like, how are we going to fill these 90 minutes? And it's like, no, we don't. We're hanging out in cafes, you know, we're talking to people. Uh, it's, mm-hmm. it's a movie that in, on paper doesn't really sound interesting. But the thing that I told you that I love so much about it is that the French New Wave films, based on the two that I've seen now, are really, right. um, are, are really uh, great at putting this weird ephemeral aesthetic to time. We're mm-hmm. like, hey, things are con- like dire consequences are happening, but you know what? Let's just linger. Like, we're gonna frame this out where our person is barely in frame, but we're hearing a conversation two booths down, right? Like, right. there's this always sense that there is this entire world happening and crashing outside of our protagonist. And uh, the thing I really love about her, uh, Agnes Varda, she uses mirrors the entire time. Like, mm-hmm. there's so many reflective surfaces because this woman, like, she's almost not likable either. Like the guy in breathless, she's very vain and very self-obsessed. Yeah, That was my, my beef with it. Not really beef with it, but that was like my, my lingering thought for like a good half of the movie was like, I don't like her right. at all. <laughs> right. No, it's weird. It's weird because you're watching this thing and like you're, it's almost voyeuristic, you know, mm-hmm. like you're just watching these people and, and Agnes Varda does this really great thing where I'm sure she didn't get the permits to go shoot on the roof. You know what I mean? <laughs> so she's just walking down the street with a steady cam, and people are like looking at her and give like old school, real Parisians and stuff or like mean mugging it. And then I think she found a couple actors to just do static shots that were like, holy shit, that's kind of scary, you know? But yeah. Overall, like they just do this thing where you feel like you are in a living moment. Uh, the cafes have these open windows, so you just see the city bustling outside. Yeah, and it's, it's like the whole c- cinema verite, right? Yeah, and like it's. I think you know the whole world's going on, and this woman's dealing with her mortality, and she realizes like, eh, we'll be fine one way or the other. Um, and for me, like if you had to see one scene in this movie out of context, it would be this scene. But at the exact same time, I would say never do it because it sneaks up on you on the film. Um, which is at some point she meets with her songwriters because Cleo is a, a singer. She's kind of mm-hmm. famous. And uh, she starts playing a song. She's like, well, what have you brought me? You know, because back in the day where the dudes had to write the songs and you just had someone else sing it for you. You know what I mean? Right. And he brings this like unbelievably melancholic, beautiful, sorrowful song. And like, I don't know about you, man, but I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, this is really good, really good. And suddenly like the film tightens in and she's just in a black backdrop and it's all about mortality. And I'm like, fuck me. She's like in this void or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I I read uh, later that that uh, piano player was the the film's composer, but no, yeah, that, that uh, scene definitely like draws you in and like sort of like this otherworldly way because like the film up until then had, like we said, like very much been, sort of this realist sort of look at like this woman going about her day, trying to ignore the fact that she may be getting some very bad news as it's established like early on, like the fortune teller, like as she's leaving says, 
that I saw cancer in her future. She's doomed. Um, and it's sort of like this death shroud hanging over this whole movie, like just the anxiety of that and her trying to like distract herself. Um, I don't know, like uh, that, that scene in particular kind of snapped some things into focus for me in terms of like what the movie was saying, but it was like an oddly, I, I would say like feminist film, um, like it, in a more specific way than I thought it would be like for the time that it was made. Uh, what year did this come out? 61, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like for a movie that came out then, like it's very much like about like, uh, cause throughout the movie it's everybody else is sort of deciding things for Cleo. Um, everybody is sort of like imprinting things onto her. The fortune teller is telling her, her future. Um, these guys are giving her a song that they wrote, like it, it, her, uh, housekeeper or whatever is telling her what superstitions to follow and not to follow what hats to get and not to get. And it like, it just very much felt like watching somebody without agency, um, go through two hours of her life, um, steeped in anxiety and finding some relief at the end. Yeah, it's amazing that like that that fortune teller scene one I think is is really brilliant because it's shot in color where everything else is completely in black and white, and yeah. I think that's very telling. One, I think visual language like maybe this isn't to be trusted. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Uh, but uh, the fortune teller says it doesn't necessarily mean death; it could mean a complete transformation. And you're right; she starts off with no agency. What's weird is that 25 minutes before she gets the news, whether she does or does not have the thing, and I'm not going to reveal that here. She already has this sense of levity. She's singing in the park, you know? She seems mm-hmm. sort of happy and like she's controlling something even though she does have this dark cloud around her. She's not like owned by it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, when I watch that movie, it's, again, it's just astonishing that in a time that was dominated by, you know, Jean-Luc Godard and, and um, Francois yeah. Truffaut and all those- All those hitters. all those frat bros of the French they New Wave. They all appear in this, which is cool. They did show support for, for her, yeah. you know? Like, uh, Jean-Luc Godard is in that silent film where the mm-hmm. guy, like, sees the ambulances and stuff like that. Uh, so it's like, you know, it's still a lot of love between those people, but I just thought, I'm just imagining, like, what a repudiation it was on what the standard of of what the French New Wave was at the time. It was amazing yeah. that there was one, there was, like, to use waves as the example, like, waves constantly crash. So, yeah, there is a new bunch of new waves, but, like, uh, Truffaut did 400 blows. You're like, holy shit. And then Breathless came out. You're like, what? That's totally different, but it's the same. You know what I mean? Like, right. the more things change, the more they stay the same. And Cleo from 5 to 7, I was really floored by it. It's, um like both of them i think they just have a hypnotic tone you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i'm not saying it's the greatest story you've ever seen i'm not saying any of that but what i'm saying is like um in, in a weird way the before trilogy reminds me of them because you mm-hmm. don't mind spending just time with people talking in rooms you understand that there's some inherent beauty to that that like yeah it's a normal conversation but entire worlds are being born and dying at yeah. the same time you know it's just about you know capturing the the mini multi-layered dramas of everyday life you know just walking down the street and her like seeing things and seeing street performers and going into cafes and stuff it's like it it wouldn't normally sound exciting like you're saying but you know if if filmed the right way it is and i I think I, i feel that way about all the films on this list here we've seen versions of all these stories before on some level or these styles before it's really just the execution like how it's done um but yeah no i really really liked uh, Cleo from five to seven. It was an oddly like calming, sort of tranquil movie, right. um, because I think we've all been living in a similar state of kind of anxiety and dread, like Miss Cleo here. But you know, maybe there's some, maybe there's some hope in that park. You know, if yeah, it man. weren't fucking closed. <laughs> 
um i'm glad you liked it man and it, it, what it really did was make me want to just keep exploring the genre and i think that's yeah. the coolest thing you know as dumb as this sounds right or like it's been plagiarized before but every every frame as a window you know like you're able to go to places that you didn't think you were going to be able to go um and if you're receptive to that and you're cool walking down that street like even though it's dark you're usually going to find some really cool shit um and that's sort of how i feel i can't wait to talk about some of these movies but that was one of mine from cleo five to seven it's on the criterion channel right now uh which if you don't have i super recommend just as a streaming service the amount of history is staggering Assuming that you have money in the bank and you're not laid off, like fucking, and you like movies. If you're listening to this, I would assume that you're probably somebody who would benefit from that service. If you're not already uh, subscribed, it's awesome. Um, any lover of film should be, and it's very curated too. Um, yeah, I, uh, my my pick for uh, the next thing that we watched was a little uh, film called Raw. I, I was going to yeah. do an extended bit where I said starring Eddie Murphy, the 1986, yada, yada, but I just don't have it in me right now. Um, it's a 2016 French horror film um, about a young woman who kind of uh, goes to school and discovers something um, uh, about herself and about her family and about um, being being a person in the world, a very specific kind of person. Um, what did you think of uh, Raw? Uh, it was a rollicking good time, you know, the kind yeah. of thing you watch with the grandparents on a sunny day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something, dude. I mean, like, again, when we talk about like, there's no good, you're not giving me anything light. <laughs> like you're giving me cannibals and murderers, but well. uh, having, I mean, like, what's interesting about these films is one, they're foreign films. So you, you almost have to play into it. Like you're at a cultural disadvantage. You know, mm-hmm. like when I watch Spanish films, I feel like I get little nuances because I'm like, ah, I get that, you know, like yeah. literative language. Um, so we're already at a little bit of a disadvantage, but I, but I also think we get something out of that, which is just like, you can almost look past the subtitles and you just can kind of read the situation. Like, of course you're reading and you're comprehending, but you're also like getting subtext. <laughs> <laughs> like that's what any good actors do. And I think it's just even more pronounced when you don't understand the language. Um the movie itself is really pretty. It's like gorgeously shot. I looked up the director. She hasn't done too many things, but she's worked yeah. with the main character a bunch, like on different yeah. shorts. Julia de Cornell. I'm they probably fucking it. that up, but that's her name. She's a lady. She directed a horror movie. That's something. Uh, yeah. And what's interesting about that, if we can, let's compare it to like other female directed horror films, which maybe there aren't any other than the Babadook. Maybe I shot myself <laughs> on the foot on that one, but it's weird. Cause that came to mind, even though they're completely different, the Babadook is very existential kind of, uh, you know, there's actual shadow right. horror monster. And this is kind of more, I don't want to say like body graphic, but it is, but it's not like exploitative in any way. It's just like, that's no. what the, like, it's a giant metaphor, obviously, you know? Yeah. And much like the Babadook was like a metaphor for like, you know, the fears that accumulate during motherhood and like grief and depression. Um, this movie is definitely about like a woman's, uh, you know, sort of coming into her own sexuality and like the confusion and kind of mania that that can cause, especially like at the age that you are when you go into into college um it's just in this movie manifests as uh cannibalism so i should set it up a little bit i guess if you haven't yeah. seen raw um yeah it stars uh somebody what's her name garance merlier I, I need to fucking work on my friend's pronunciations but she plays uh, justine who's at her first semester at veterinary school and during a hazing ritual eats uh eats a rabbit kidney um her life like lifelong vegetarian or whatever and now has been forced during a hazing ritual to eat meat and develops a taste for it and not just 
meat, not just raw meat, but human flesh. Right. Um, and it turns into like this insatiable hunger that will not go away. Um, yeah. That's you know, in a, in a weird way, it reminded me a little bit of Ari Aster as well. Uh, yeah. Aster, just because it, like we've talked about his, his thing really is like, God, fucking families are weird. Let's uh, mm-hmm. construct and deconstruct that a bit. You know what I mean? Let's build it up only to break <laughs> it down. Uh, and it's really interesting that, yeah, this is a show about cannibalism. Yes, it's a show. It, it's a movie about um, like burgeoning sexuality, but it's mm-hmm. still wrapped in this interesting family uh, genre that you don't necessarily know. That's what's so interesting about it. You know, like I, I kind of, mm-hmm. the, the opening scene starts with like a desolate highway. We see someone walking and a car driving and then someone's not walking and blah, blah, blah. And there's an accident. Okay. Someone throws themselves yeah. in front of the car. So I kind of piece that together before the reveal where you kind of mm-hmm. find something out. Uh, but it, it it's interesting that like, oh, it, it went just from that to again, agency, believe it or not. Maybe these were good pairings, Cleo and, hmm. and, and Raw, because it's about just two them. young women finding their own <laughs> way in the ways. world. You know, and who am I to say that Cleo's way is any better than just these? Well, uh, <laughs> no, but it's 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 so funny to me that it ends up becoming that. Even like the final moment of the movie really kind of makes that clear that there are these kind yeah. of like inescapable. Uh, inherited traumas in in a weird way but they do it cannibalism (laughs) yeah no i i would say like uh not i don't want to get too into the plot like see this movie if you're not too squeamish it's honestly one of those like texas chainsaw things where like its reputation sort of precedes it it's not nearly as gory as like because there there were talks of mass walkouts during Cannes film festival people throwing up like it was like this sort of volatile release when it came out notorious which is like one of the reasons i was like yeah i'll see that but the movie itself like yes it is gory in moments but for the most part it's not a fun watch still (laughs) you know what i mean it's a good movie but there are a couple scenes that are rough but it's not anything you haven't seen before yeah it's not wall-to-wall gore it's just a few choice moments um sort of like that are built up to in a very very uh successful way um no like I, I would say that this is one of the best movies of the 2010s honestly um i don't think it gets talked about enough i think it's definitely one of the best horror movies of the 2010s maybe right. of the from 2000 up until now but it's a movie that i had not re-watched until like this past week since 2016 when it came out and i remembered every fucking minute of it like so like any movie where like i i remember like every beat of it for years later um definitely says something like it stays with you kind of sticks to you uh which is not good <laughs> like i don't want to catch that raw <laughs> uh no i i really do think it's like it's a really good movie i mean there's it's cliche as that sounds like it's a really good movie um you know yeah. it deals with things in ways that you haven't necessarily like seen and you're right it's a story that we've seen right up in like genres and whatnot but. it's almost literally like the plot of ginger snaps without the werewolves but it's just the way it's done is just so fucking like goddamn on point you know um it's just like a really really well-made movie so like i think that's the thing like with any movie that's this well made i don't mind watching it if it's kind of fucked up Right. There's a limit to that. The thing I was going to say that I really like about it more than anything is that in between the scary bits is still scary. And I just mean (laughs) that it it really is able to sustain the sense of menace and dread. Yeah. Little things. We're in a veterinary school. So every time I see an animal, I'm just like, don't 
do it yeah you know? like like in that and that that's part of it that's all like yeah. you're playing just me, like, like those fiddle. Like, slow motion shots of this horse in like a black void just like running in place or like well, a cow like giving birth well, even or... that scene well like, yeah so those are the two where they put the the, the horse to sleep at first in the elevator I'm yeah like, oh, god damn it but even like there's another scene she walks into class late and there's just a cow in the in the classroom and i'm like all of this can go wrong at any moment like, cow in the classroom <laughs> spin-off <laughs> uh but but yeah so i think that that's like that's the mark of really great you know horror films and stuff like that because like i think again we're american specifically like there was such a big rise and like oh that's what scary is you know what i mean and like great horror films are supposed to just make you feel on edge the entire time it's this like unrelenting 90 minutes of like uh, like and even if you never get that giant you know uh jump scare that's kind of the point like horror and comedy are in theory the same but i don't necessarily agree with that i think that modern horror that relies on jump scares is mm-hmm. very similar to comedy it's about building tension and relieving tension but great horror leaves you in that tension yeah just uh, that final shot is just such a I, I love that final shot like that final moment is just such a oh my god and then like the title card comes up great music by the way it almost reminded me of like goblin or something yeah, yeah. um just like really good kind of like organ soundy synth score mixed with like like guitar work like the moment when she first eats human flesh like starts like it's, really it's like the same pretty one. music yeah. and then it like kicks into like this kind of sinister organ music um i'm not positive but i think one of those songs is also in the demons the the fucking other french movie i want you to watch oh, like really? the pool scene so just keep an ear for it whenever okay. you're watching it but yeah, yeah raw's raw's really good it's raw as the kids say yeah and, uh, um jackson's favorite movie our buddy jackson it's literally his favorite movie so what that says about jackson i don't know but uh it is it is great um, but moving on, uh, you, you uh, found your own little weird, uh, horrifying suggestion for me to watch. So you yeah. returned the favor. Do you watch this at you night know? by any chance? No, I actually watched it today during daytime. I'm sorry. It's I all good. Up. It's a really good night movie. The colors are fucking gorgeous in the film. Yeah. I'm sure they shine through in the daytime as well. But when there's nothing else around you and you're in that void, it's amazing. I picked a French film called Evolution, uh, mm-hmm. which came out a couple of years back. And it's really interesting because like world building sort of thing, right? They, they drop you in a world where they don't explain shit uh, and they don't even necessarily call attention to it, uh, mm-hmm. but you have questions immediately. And it's like, oh, there are all these orphan boys on this small island or like coastal town in France somewhere. No adult men anywhere. They're all raised right. by women who are not their moms. <laughs> uh, yeah. and so it's like these things and they're all being given medicine. It's just the, right. the, immediately you're dropped into a world where you're like, I don't know about any of this. Uh, well, it starts with like this, this beautiful underwater photography and then this little boy sees something in the water and there's a starfish there and he freaks out and he runs back on this like, it, and like all the outdoor scenes in this look like they're shot on like an alien planet. Like they're less vivid than the underwater scenes, which was immediately like, oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's really, really striking the color palette. Um, and then he uh cuts to like the mom figure or whatever, and she's making something fucked up in the pot. And immediately I was like, that lady ain't right. She's got weird eyebrows and she's making some black goop um, and eating it and going, oh, that's good. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I thought this was a very uh, atmospheric, um, very tense uh strange uh reminded me of like hagazusa that movie that i watched this past year kind of similar feeling that it gave me um very minimal dialogue too where it's just something you watch and you kind of like figure out sort of what's going on 
Great. Yeah, it doesn't hold your hand at all, which is something that I really love about it. Uh, I mean, yeah. you can, you, there are broad strokes here. Like, yeah, the, yeah, these these women are trying to do some creepy scientific like male fertility things. Like, there there's definitely like subtext, and you have the feeling that there's a mythology there. But what I love about it is that it's there. But it's mm-hmm. definitely just one kid's like almost point of view of what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? Right. Like his realization of his situation, his agency to try to get out of that situation and his eventual maybe escape. You know what I mean? Uh, and right. so like watching that though, even though the story isn't on forefronts, like the visuals, like you said, and I'm so glad you fucking said it is like the underwater scenes have more mm-hmm. clarity or in seemingly higher definition or better focus than mm-hmm. any of the stuff on land. Like, because yeah. that's like where there's real beauty in a way, you know what I mean? That's where these things are. The, there's definitely symbols, like the, the, there's a starfish that keeps showing up. There's color theory, right? Red starfish. Mm-hmm. He's wearing red trunks and stuff like that. Regeneration, all that shit, right? Uh, so it's like this really cerebral, beautiful movie, um, but also unafraid to just be weird. Uh, and, I'm not, and I'm just talking about one scene in particular, which I think it's after he kind of makes his escape. We're in the water for like... 45 seconds just uncut while the 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 tide's going and the dust and it all eventually Mm -hmm. dissolves into this really amazing edit and you're just like what i I watched that and was like yo lynch lynch like these people like lynch like i just started yelling at the screen my wife's like calm down i'm like it's lynch she's like david lynch himself perks up and goes i'm needed somewhere Uh, no, dude, it was, it was just, I, I love watching movies that, that don't overly rely on stuff. And again, maybe it's just, there's a cultural thing where I don't understand the language, but I'm so taken by it. I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm able to really enjoy and embrace it in a way that maybe I wouldn't if it was in English. I don't know. You know, maybe, maybe yeah. the, the lack of understanding the thing inherently makes it more intriguing, you know, makes it feel like, uh, you project more onto what the actors are doing emotionally because you don't necessarily understand, you know? Right. And I guess we don't necessarily need to understand, like explaining often makes things way goofier. Like I just watched that movie Alita Battle Angel, which is not as bad as I thought it would be, but it is just like wall to wall exposition explaining like this world that you've been dropped into. And I really love a movie where it just sort of shows you Um, in a weird man. You know, yeah. he's not as bad of a director as you'd imagine, but he's also not great. <laughs> like he is the battle, <laughs> like the elite battle angel of directors. Okay. <laughs> like, God damn it. That guy. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. I didn't mean to, to send you spiraling there on Robbie Rod. Fucking Robbie um, Rodriguez. Yeah. Shot, chopped and scored by Robert Rodriguez. Oh, Fucking douchebag. Fuck anyway, off, uh, evolution, man. I mean, I, I'm glad that you kind of took to it. I thought it was a really beautiful yeah film. and i also like that the french are making weirder shit than we are yeah well i, I always assume going in uh, as soon as i see that a french movie is moody i expect there to be some weird shit that i've never seen before because the french are they they are freakier than us man they they like allow for some much stranger things that's dude, than that, american that audiences do that's my revelation about all this i literally turned to dolores i was like you know god bless these french people for just making shit <laughs> like they, yeah like we, we we don't have the bravery to make this fucking movie you know what i mean and uh, right both of those man raw and and evolution i'm just like yeah that wouldn't have got made in the states although the lighthouse got made so maybe yeah that's a <laughs> that's a strange thing that happened there huh i'm grateful that it did though Right. Um, but no, Evolution. Uh, I'm very glad I watched it. It's a breezy 81 minutes if you can find it somewhere. Is this on what? IFC right now? Yeah, I got it on an IFC subscription through Amazon, which I got mm. for free right now. 
which I got to cancel. But it is, it's available and it's really, it's totally worth it, man. It's like all these French movies, like all three of them that we've talked about, they're just real dreamy in a weird way. Some of them mm. are nightmares. Some of them are just like, you know, dreamy kind of things, but they, they're definitely this thing you can sort of just sit on the couch and flow through, you know? Yeah. You just kind of fall into it, which I, I always like. That's kind of what I like about, you know, sort of moody, dreamy, uh, surreal kind of pieces like this. Um, and similarly, Hagazusa. I might, I don't know. You know what? No, I'm not going to recommend that movie uh, on Thank this you. list because it's just fucking miserable and made me feel sick. But it did remind me of Evolution. So out there, audience, if you like Evolution, uh, check out Hagazusa, I guess. It'll make you want to throw up. Um, yeah any final thoughts on evolution uh it's awesome i love it that's my only thought i don't i don't know like i just again i just want to make something that unrepentantly weird that's still gorgeous like it's such an achievement to me that like that's we're gonna get into this when we talk about this next movie your final movie but i just Mm. i i love movies man i just love them i think sometimes we take that shit for granted that like you just watch something and be transported it's incredible uh let's talk about your last movie i'm so excited to talk about it uh, so my last movie was a little 2006 film called Perfume, the story of a murderer based on a novel of the same name by a Peter Suskind, um, Suskind, I believe it was a German language novel when it first came out, but I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, a period piece set in, what is it like the 18th century? I want to say 18th century, uh, yeah, France, Paris. Um, and it is about a young man with an extraordinary sense of smell. Um, and that like leads him and it kind of just follows his, his journey through life with this, uh, what seems like a gift turns into an affliction, turns into a vehicle for obsession and leads him down the darkest path, uh, that it possibly could. Um, yeah, this movie, uh, was not like very, uh, successful in the States, hugely successful overseas like germany wherever ended up making like a total of 135 million at the box office for worldwide gross but in the united states when it came out it was like a fucking bomb like pretty much right away came out in christmas too which was probably not a great choice but whatever um but yeah uh christian what did you think about perfume story of a murderer I just want to know what studio is like, uh, hear those slow bells ringing, ding, ding, not perfume. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. That's weird. Uh, it's a movie that, um, again, I hit you up. Five, I'm like, on page five, they're trying to smother a baby. And I'm like, you know, yeah. I'm good on this. whole. I literally was like, I'm good. I'm going to turn this off. But uh, I feel like there's a couple movies that you made me, or Monos was very similar, where I'm just like, I don't want to watch this movie if it continues being like this. And yeah. it's interesting because it definitely gets worse. Uh, but mm-hmm. you're just desensitized to it in a way, or maybe it's executed so well that you start to understand, like once you start under- understanding the characters, you're able to rationalize it in your weird way. But mm-hmm. when something just starts and they're smothering babies, I'm like, God damn it, man. <laughs> uh, so that was, that was rough. Yeah, huh? no, this, this has a very brutal opening. Um, and I love like the opening shot. It does start sort of like the framing devices, like this guy, the main character, Jean-Baptiste Grenouille is like in chains and he's being carted out to be, uh, strung up, his limbs chopped off, and then hanged or something like that until dead um, before a town square of angry people going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it cuts to him as a baby. He literally gets birthed under a fish stand and his mother just like swipes him out with the refuse and continues working, not realizing that he's alive. So that's the start of your movie. Um, yeah. And it only gets more fun from there. You know, they really remind you about infant mortality on <laughs> Front Street, which is yeah. where I like to start with films, usually. Um, 
first of all, Ben Winshaw's in it, who I've been lobbying to be Doctor Who for a minute. Uh, but yeah. not after this performance. I just, oh. <laughs> you know, uh, I just think that, like, I can't get this out of my mind. I can't imagine Doctor Who being this guy. Uh, also, has, like, D- Dustin Hoffman in it, has Alan yeah. Rickman in it. Uh, Narrated as- by John Hurt. Was that John Hurt? Really? I didn't yeah. even I didn't even see that. That's amazing. Okay. God, what a fucking baby. He's another Doctor Who. Um, but yeah, anyway. Uh so you know, watching the movie initially, I was like a little taken aback by it, but the more you watch it, the more it sort of casts its spell on you. Specifically, mm. like where I really started to like it's when Dustin Hoffman shows up. Like I liked it <laughs> beforehand. Yeah. That it was interesting beforehand right uh because you know again before he's just sniffing rats and shit <laughs> like it's weird yeah you're like how miserable is this, is this just gonna be like a lars von trier movie <laughs> like what the fuck it's gonna be like if dickens wanted to out dickens himself in terms of right light. and i was like oh god but uh no dustin often shows up and by the way i just want to say like it's nice to see dustin seeming engaged in the material yeah he's <laughs> having a fucking blast and like a lot of critics didn't like his performance in this but i think it's like such a needed stretch of levity in this movie like it brightens the whole film up like from when he is on screen onward almost i didn't because the beginning oh go ahead sir i was gonna say i'm really glad i didn't know any of the critical opinions of it i just wanted to fresh like i I remember we looked up the score and it was like 58 percent. like that well half the people liked it i'm not gonna read anything so people didn't like dustin Hoffman's performance a lot of people criticized it. I I really like it. Um, Roger Ebert unabashedly loved this movie, gave it a four out of four um, or whatever. And you should definitely read his review if you haven't. It's like one of his best reviews, honestly. Um, but no, it's uh, it's it's just like what I love about it, especially on rewatch, because yeah, you're right. Like the movie is sort of miserable in that opening stretch if you don't know what you're in for. Um, but like that opening stretch is one of like the best uh like period piece like in terms of like set design sense of place costuming just the grime and everything like it if from the beginning you feel like you can smell all of those places you feel like you're almost in all of those places like it's somebody dropped a camera right in a fish market in paris in like the 1700s um it's really really remarkably like well done uh just on a technical level so I got to give it props. That's how I felt every like. There's a scene where he's following the the lemon lady or whatever early on, and I just keep looking at the dirt, like how wet the mm-hmm. mud looks and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, I get that place. That place <laughs> is real. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, the the weirdest thing for me, uh, and the thing that I appreciated the most, I hit you up at some point, being like, it's gonna sound weird. It reminds me of the first time I watched like the fifth element and back to the future and then amadeus which you're like oh of course amadeus immediately right like, again that that one i understood back to the future and fifth element i was like yeah what it's interesting because amadeus was a movie that i didn't give a shit about i didn't mm. want to watch that movie i watched it in class one day in school and was like my god i need every <laughs> bit of this is there a director's cut you know because even right. though it's a fictionalized thing one it made me learn about a subject that now i really like i really love classical music like i, I right. take deep dives on these things and it was someone saying like hey let me take your hand i know you're uneducated and you're ignorant about this like i'm gonna i'm gonna give you an emotional entry point 
And there's a scene, because I don't give a shit about perfume. I shouldn't, blah, 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 whatever, right? Mm. And you watch, there's a scene where Dustin Hoffman, which is a really myth that people didn't like his performance, because specifically when he starts breaking down, like, the composition of a yeah. scent about how it comes in waves, and he breaks it down in my language, which he starts talking about musical notes almost, right? Like, there's right. four, and each four equals a third. And, and suddenly, like, that, I was like, oh, my God, like, I get it. Like, when you're playing a chord, you're playing three separate notes that build into this beautiful thing that sounds mm-hmm and fool and suddenly i understood that about like scent and i was like whoa okay <laughs> like they kind of got me and suddenly like someone's very gently holding my hand and taking me into a world that is so beautiful that i've never given a shit about you know yeah seeing them harvest a thousand roses for the smallest amount of the essence of that smell right like mm-hmm. seeing the amount of like alchemy in a weird uh, inaccurate word <laughs> but you know like the experimentation to to obtain this and then to also know that there are people who are literally born with the ability to differentiate on that level like i smell something like good or bad <laughs> like right they're geniuses out there you know and so that part of it reminded me of like amadeus and the set design you know um but the feeling of watching something that like just purely took me to a place as well. Like when I watched Fifth Element for the first time, and even now, there's mm-hmm. something really charming about those flying cars and the way they achieve yeah. the practicality of it. And I just felt like, oh man, I really like it made me feel fuzzy in a weird way. And I'm like, I love movies. I just like it doesn't matter what the subject is. If it's well done, right. it takes you to a place and it makes you feel something. Well, no, I, I would I, like, I, I definitely see the comparison then on that level. Cause like it, it does introduce you because like the film is almost structured like a parable or a fairy tale, like, especially with this sort of like omniscient narrator sort of chronicling like the inner life of this character who barely speaks, right. um, who only wants one thing or whatever, but like every person who was his charge throughout the film befalls like an ironic fate after he leaves their presence like it's sort of structured like this sort of like a like a very dark fairy tale like so sort of making that era of paris feel like sort of real at the same time also like otherworldly it's like you're transported to this other place which i really like um and it's just like gorgeously fucking shot like it's so ridiculous and like the Dustin Hoffman's uh, perfume shop or whatever, just being on this medieval bridge or whatever, like these rows of houses just perched precariously on this fucking bridge. Just shit like that that like I'll probably always remember in terms of just set design. It's yeah, great. and again, like weird uh, magical realist shit always appeals to me. And like mm-hmm. the idea that there are these like semi- frequent earthquakes of sorts you know like the building is constantly shifting and the minute that dude leaves it literally crumbles into the ocean i was like all right (laughs) that really works (laughs) for me um but the movie is like decidedly split into almost two eras, right? Mm-hmm. Like he, he meets uh, the he meets the mentor, right? Like by the way, I'm not gonna get into Campbell because you yell at me all the time, but it n- nails it. It really does. Like yeah. you, he meets the mentor, he crosses the threshold into unfamiliar place, blah 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 blah. Uh, he goes to the city of Grass, right, which is where he's mm-hmm. kind of like the mecca of all sense and stuff like that. And he's gonna prove himself, prove his metal. By the way, gorgeously fucking shot, immaculately yeah. framed. Every time you see the the like them harvesting uh, the purples mm-hmm. and the yellows, and you're just like God damn it color like it's amazing uh there's a quote i forget who says it maybe it's frida Kahlo, but it's just like uh, flowers are how plants laugh and i've always loved that line because it's interesting that is is pretty um but yeah so i I, uh, that happens and it's like shit we 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 lose a dusty hoffman but we gain an alan rickman which you know me uh alan rickman is is my boy i love alan rickman so much he's one of those under valued underrated incredible actors that like i'm so sad 
isn't on this planet anymore. Um, yeah. Like during your Facebook messages, like you, you started off like just talking about the movie and then it just turned into like an Alan Rickman love fest between the two of us just talking about like how much we love Alan Rickman. And I was like, I don't even know how he feels about the second half of this movie, but I know <laughs> that his heart's in the right place with Alan Rickman. What, what I like, said was like, look, like uh, all that this movie's whatever, but mostly it's a reminder that Alan Rickman <laughs> was everything <laughs> like that, that, that he was the best performer on every day by being the softest spoken by being the most thoughtful in every delivery like he's yeah. just wonderful and again this is a film where there's nothing flashy about his performance no he's, not he's literally a dad yeah. yeah he's just a dad thank you <laughs> like he's dealing with any dad shit you could make this movie like san francisco 87 still the exact same right. film by alan rickman's uh like motivations and stuff <laughs> like that uh but yeah so it becomes like him kind of uh the, this killer being obsessed again with a very specific person he's trying to create his his harmonic chord in a weird way mm -hmm. right he's trying to fill all 12 vials and gets obsessed with alan rickman's daughter right. tragedies ensues uh but the, the second half of the movie i totally understand why people are weirded out by do you want to know how mm -hmm. old torres felt about it mm. yeah how'd you <laughs> feel nice <laughs> i mean it was I, again i i like things that are unabashedly weird that lean into stuff and so he yeah. ends up being caught you know even mm -hmm. though he kills everyone he's gonna kill uh and i also like the weird like strife it's a throwaway but i also feel like it's there for a reason the strife between like we got to defer to the church and like, right. uh, we should use the fucking brains God gave us to catch this fucker. Like God, he's been excommunicated and yet he's still killing. So what are we going to do about this? Uh, and I'm, I'm making it more light than it is, but I love that schism and it's throwaway, but it's present. And I think that's like, um, you know, very ref referential to the time period in which it, it happened, you know? Yeah. Um, that the, these still educated high society elites are susceptible to the same kind of bullshit. Um, but it all it all culminates into this scene where like we kind of return back to the framing device, uh, mm -hmm. and now he is going to be executed. Uh, but but he but we see him like use his his perfect elixir, that thing that all all of this has been leading up to this fucking moment. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the scent is so intoxicating. The, the right. scent is so incredible that not only does it make people like generally like him, you smell someone nice on a subway, you're like, oh, thanks, dude, right? But like, right. you don't think like he's an angel. <laughs> like, they <laughs> literally start to just like completely change hearts and minds, and it becomes a surreal fucking thing. And like, at some point, right. it's just like Austin Powers, like, got a fucking handkerchief <laughs> and shit, uh, and is just putting like a, a, a dab of that scent into the air, and this like. It drives yeah. it fucking crazy, Max. So at this point, I'm locked in. I'm like, all right, what's going <laughs> to happen here? Like, even there's the scene where the priest is there mm -hmm. and he's like, oh, <laughs> declares him an angel. I don't know if that guy was a good actor or a bad actor, but it really sold me in the moment. Um, and then, like, again, like, the, it de escalates and it just becomes this fucking orgy. Like, I'm sorry to get so yeah. spoiler specific, but I feel like you can't talk about this movie without talking about the last 10 minutes or so. Yeah. No, like the, the ending of this movie made me love it in a way that I didn't expect just for going there, just for being that weird. And to be fair, like it is based on a book in which that happens. But like right. any movie with this amount of money backing it for them to like fully commit to that, because the ending is like the most bonkers ending I've seen in a movie with this budget in a long time. I haven't seen many with an ending this fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, like an orgy breaks out and they declare him an angel that he must be innocent. And he just walks free having accomplished the thing that was his entire life's goal. And now he has nothing left to live for. Like, it's just this sort of like stunning sort of portrait of like 
obsession um and sort of the perfect ending yeah well and then he's consumed by it as well like, right like he like like he almost self-emulates right like he right he, he douses himself, himself with the fire. entire bottle of this perfume cultivated from 13 dead women like and by the way if, if one drop made people fucking orgy crazy like uh, bonobos but bonobo monkeys or whatever right, right? that's what <laughs> i kept thinking i'm like all right maybe we are uh, bonobos man because we mm-hmm. just immediately went to that if one drop does that like what happens when you douse yourself with it which right. is like completely consumed ripped like piece yeah, to piece. people just fucking go nuts yeah what's amazing about it too is you don't see it like there's not even blood it's so right. wonderful how they do it because it seems very zombie like and he's swarmed and shit but it, it, it keeps that fairy tale mentality like you were saying yeah well, like the and the most horrifying part of that ending um, is just that Alan Rickman, still not convinced, goes to confront him and ends up embracing him as a son, and just like the tears streaming down his face. This is the man who, like, it like it has been fully proven to have murdered his only daughter, and he embraces him as a son at the end. And it's just like, holy shit! And Rickman kills yeah, that. That was some good too. perfume. Yeah. <laughs> He's like a uh, person sent is their legacy or some shit. I forget the quote now, but it, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like very much like you believe in the priest to do that. What I'm saying is like that ending doesn't work if they don't really kind of get you to understand the weird inherent and subtle beauty of perfuming, like perfume yeah. making and shit. Like and, that. and that is like one more thing not to like overtake this thing with just this movie. But um, I, what I love about it is that it visual, like through sound and visuals is sort of represents the sense of smell, which is something you can't project through a screen unless you're in one of those shitty 40 uh, theaters or whatever, but just like through sound and image, it'll like kind of pair those two things to like sort of give you the impression of like, this is what an orange smells like, or this is what, you know, a stone or like what grass smells like or whatever, like, cause you're experiencing the world through him. Um, and it does that just so well throughout the whole movie. So like without that setup and without like Dustin Hoffman explaining the rules of perfumes, like that ending would not work, but it, it definitely does. Yeah, man. I thought it was great. I, I also a weird thing. It's just like a, when in the pursuit of all this, he's like, what does this smell like? He's like, I smell nothing. It's like, it's <laughs> copper. <laughs> he's all mad about it and shit like that. Uh, I, I like that too, just because again, it's like, there are people who exist going back to the Amadeus comparison. It's just like, can you imagine being Salieri and being like, I'm the man. I've been holding court in this thing for fucking 30 years and I'm good. You can't test me. I'm great. And then a fucking bona fide genius savant comes in. It's like, there's a difference between being good. Right. And there's yeah. being great, like greatness. You're sometimes you're, I mean, the Shakespeare, right? Like some people are born great. Some people achieve greatness. Other people have greatness thrusted upon them. And it's just like, Holy shit. You know? So that scene again was yeah. just like this. There are these people who are on other levels and, uh, if taught the right way that genius gets channeled in a really good way. Um, and this is a weird movie because it's kind of like necessary evil to achieve what you need to achieve. And yet once you achieve it, then what, you know, like it really is one of those stories and I really liked it, man. It was very long, but it was very good. (laughs) Yeah. Especially with those commercials that you watched with. Oh yeah. I watched it on a free streaming thing, but it had commercials and I'm not even saying commercials were like, all right, well, let's go get them. End of the scene. Let's go into a commercial. I mean, like, perfume, my boy, is all about, and then sumo wrestlers show up on the screen for <laughs> no reason. <laughs> so I'm like, Just what's perfume warning. about? It's about sumo wrestling, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> 
That'd be great uh, if that was all a part of the movie, just a deliberate choice. Um, but no, I mean, if uh, I'm glad that the movie was able to cut through that wonky commercial editing and yeah. uh, leave a good impression. All in all, a successful episode here, you know, four movies, four uh, rave reviews uh, from each of us, I think. Yeah, I'm so, excited. I am. I'm excited to do it. So maybe can we, let's do the personal accountability thing here. Let's, uh, do you want to pick the next two from both of us? And I'm going to start with you first and we can alternate. Okay, um, so I'm going to change. I, I did a little swap out because, you know, Christian complained rightly so <laughs> that my list is just full of depressing fucking uh, movies. Um, so <laughs> I swapped out The Mountain for Death of Stalin, which is still about, you know, communist Russia and betrayal and murder, but it's hilarious and it's got right. Steve Buscemi in it. It's so I'm going to recommend uh, Death of Stalin as well as uh, The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen. Um, all right, that's exciting. Uh, I really want to watch the hunt because I watched the other hunt. Yeah, uh, I want to compare which you do a little movie. compare and contrast. Two very similar movies, no doubt. Yeah, the same film, I think. Probably it's isn't this one an American remake, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, look, I just that. want to try to get this French stuff out of the way because I feel so bad that it dominated <laughs> as much as it did. Uh, so yeah. let's do let's do Le Demons. Let's do the demons. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and in case people forget, that's the one I kind of compare to It Follows, but a much more subdued Canadian version of it. Right. Uh, so let's get that one in there. Um, and then I'll go. I'll give my second one now, and you can pick your second one. Uh, let, let's let's watch something that you've that you haven't seen. Let's do um, silent film. Let's do Dr. Caligari, man. So we'll do the demons okay. and Dr. Caligari next week. Uh, cool. And then what do you have here for me? I already said uh, Death of Stalin and the Hunt. Oh, the hunt. Oh, sorry, I forgot you said the hunt already. My bad. Jesus Christ, I'm dying. Okay, cool. So we'll have those four. Uh, th- those are eclectic. They're all over the place, you know? Yeah. Like, got some satire, got some drama, got, got some, some horror. Silent. Yeah, it's great. All right, man, cool. Well, this is a successful episode. All right, so uh, I guess until next week, Max. Bye.